Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So I told Jim that I'm going on tour. Because if Bernie Sanders can write a book, it's okay to be angry about capitalism, and then charge $95 a ticket (laughs) through Ticketmaster to go see his show, I can do It's Okay to Be Angry About Bernie Sanders. Ticket prices will only be $55. We're finding a theater now. It's a steal. And we're going to take this across the country. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you here at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference presented by Relay Indiana. Charles Sauer joins us right now, economist with the Market Institute, marketinstitute.org. His book, Profit Motive, What Drives the Things We Do? Uh, That's available at Amazon.com, where refined books are sold. And it's got the blurb from T. Boone Pickens, and that's worth gold, young man. I, I T, the T. Boone get. I had been following him for a long time. He's a good businessman. The book is about the fact that people are interested in making a profit for themselves, and we need to know it. And so, to get T. Boone on there, one of the biggest profit makers, it was important for me. Yeah, but you also have Jeb Bush, so it's almost almost washes T. Boone right out. Oh, that is rough. Yeah, rough, but but maybe. But maybe factual. Check out the book, Profit Motive, What Drives the Things We Do. Um, so much of what has become the political conversation in America, uh, Charles, is the capitalism, anti-capitalism conversation. Yep. The idea that, oh, the oil companies are making obscene profits. Oh, the banks are making obscene profits. The insurance companies are making obscene profits. And obscene is never defined. A number is given... We hear the word record profits very often, and others who have nothing to do with the creation of the business yes. dictate to us and, and try to decide for us that that number is obscene. Has the number ever been quantified? Has there ever been a definition given to obscene? And are things like windfall profits taxes, well, profitable for anybody? Yeah, so uh, one of my former employers is actually one of those guys who's proposed windfall windfall taxes, uh, Chuck Grassley. He's uh, proposed it on oil companies, I believe. And uh, the answer's no. No number's ever been given. And in fact, one of the things that I find most interesting about the attack on capitalism and the attack on profits is they usually just say the number of the profit because it does seem obscene when you hear that the oil industry made two billion dollars that sounds like a very large number because it's a number that you and i probably aren't going to make in our lifetimes however when you look at it as a percentage of how much they invested or as a percentage of how much they actually spent to make that two billion it it becomes a small percentage and so i do think that if we had seen profits they would be uh either in hollywood where they're making obscene profits if we were to actually quantify it or in other industries but the industries that are attacked like pharmaceutical industry big oil big energy the profits Uh, can't be seen as obscene. They are very large numbers, but as a percentage of what they're putting in, it's ridiculous. So no, never been quantified and never will. I I make this argument uh, repeatedly, yet the argument continues to grow. And when we take a look at where the political left's doctrine stands, this was the doctrine of Bernie Sanders. 
And when Bernie Sanders was running against Hillary Clinton, they shoved him into a box. They, they wanted nothing to do with this. This was ridiculous. We weren't going to be labeled with the moniker socialist or socialism or democratic socialism or anything else. Eight years later, it is their platform. How did that happen? That the anti-capitalism, which is seen as sometimes late-stage capitalism, you'll hear that terminology. Yep. Me, I, I make the argument that any uh, uh, descriptor of capitalism is a bastardization of capitalism. It isn't actually the thing. How did it become their mantra? Oof. It's a good question. I want to start off with a, a story about how bad this is right now, though, and maybe we can back into it a little bit. So if we look at the Federal Trade Commission, the people that are basically in charge of uh, enforcing antitrust rules, we have at the head of that Lena Khan. Now, Lena Khan at makes AOC look like Ron Paul. Like... She is so far left. That is a very descriptive statement. Yeah, she is so far left that it's hard to understand how far left she is. However, I will try. So when she first took over the FTC, one of the first things she did was change the mission of the FTC. And by doing that, she removed a sentence that said, preserve the free market system. She took that off of the FTC's mission. And so now the FTC is just out there. She's expanding merger, uh, the, the way that the FTC looks at mergers to not just figure out whether consumers are doing better, the consumer welfare standard that we've heard about before, but to also look if now labor and labor issues are being dealt with so that she can do, deal with the union aspects of it. So not only are you right that now the Bernie Sanders have been accepted, but they are entrenched deeply within the Biden administration. And so I think it's gone a lot further. And honestly, I do think it's AOC and the popularity that she has on social media, Bernie Sanders' popularity on social media, and the way that they get the youth. Talking to Charles Sauer, economist, the book, Profit Motive, What Drives the Thing We Do? Let's go back to the title, because when you hear about this idea of windfall profit, taxes, when you hear this idea of obscene profits, of course, the objective in, in the nomenclature, in the language, is to get fully Pavlovian and equate profit to bad. Yes. That's, yes. that's the argument. Make the case. Why is profit good? Profit is not... Profit is even different than good. I don't think profit is necessarily good or bad. What profit is, is everywhere. So everybody is out for their own profit. You're looking for some sort of profit. I'm looking for some sort of profit. Everybody at CPAC is looking for a profit. Now, profit doesn't always have to be money, right? Profit can be time, it can be learning, it can be time with your family. Profit for me is often money and it's often time with my family. But that's the idea. This is the way economists think about the world. And so it's why I put the book out so that people could understand that profit isn't necessarily good or bad. Profit just is. Everybody, everybody that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, your church, your teacher, your pastor, your wife, your kids, everybody is looking for their own profit. And so, yes, I do think we should push back anytime the Democrats try to portray it in a bad way, but we need to point it out in, in the way that says, what are these profits being used for? Steve Jobs is a good example. Steve Jobs made a ton of money selling the iPhone, right? And he made that money 
uh, selling kind of, you know, something that he was making twice as much as the phone. There's people that could call that obscene profits, but what did that do? That meant that now people that were in, you know, rural Africa could get health care because they could access information on the phone. People that didn't have access to a good education had access on their phones to all of the information in the world. And so smartphones revolutionized the world. Steve Jobs got rich, made a profit getting that out to people and I think we should celebrate that but I think people that believe that profit is good need to talk about those examples and how Steve Jobs you know it wasn't just the fact that he gave money away as a charity it's the fact that he made money changing the world and making it better that's what we should hold up but when these people talk about windfall profit taxes and and, and other things what they are uh, believers in and what they want to do is engage in, in redistribution Yes. Because their their belief is you've made too much and somebody else should get more, which plays right into from each according to their measure to each according to their need. It plays directly into Marx. This isn't even some far-fetched conversation or far-fetched theory or, oh, Tony, you're being ridiculous. A plus B equals C. It's 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 right there. Well, this is what what is their incentive to do this, right? Because when they propose these welfare, the these taxes, they're not, these windfall taxes, they're not looking to get rich themselves on taxing those windfall taxes, right? What they're doing and why I think it was important to write this book, what they're doing is looking at their voters and seeing that they can manipulate the voters into thinking they're going after the man, they're going to get them and they're going to tax them. When in fact, what happens when you tax a corporation, the majority of those taxes are taxed from labor. The actual employees are the people that pay those taxes. And so when you have a windfall profits tax, you're not like hurting the CEO and he's not going to lose his private jet. It means that the employees that work for that company are going to work less hours. They're going to have worse health care. They're not going to get the vacation days to spend them with their family. And so that's what we see as the problem with this. There's this disconnect. However, it comes back to incentives they want people to vote for them and they think that they're gullible enough to believe that the windfall profits tax is going to be for them his name is charles sauer the book profit motive what drives the things we do i appreciate you taking the time I, breaking down this conversation to me is some of the most important stuff to get to the oh this is what some people and what some ideologies are all about charles can't thank you enough really appreciate being here thank you more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. So we've been asking ourselves, what are the things that move here? What is actually moving people uh, to, to action? And uh, I, I appreciate Charles Sauer being with us because anytime we get to really expose the nonsense of the of the arguments being utilized against us like for example obscene profits that's a nonsense terminology there's no such thing as an obscene profit your view of morality your thoughts on morality your immaturity about morality an immature morality is the idea that you're a child at heart and you think that the morality of the child should be applied to everyone. 
Children don't know about morality. They get taught morality. Let's do that again. Children don't know about morality. They get taught morality. That's what happens. That's how it works. A child will learn the difference between right and wrong. But without somebody to help them, what is it that they learn? Now, this is actually the argument for religion. That religion sets the moral foundation because how would you know what is moral and what is immoral if God was not there to tell you what it is? That's heavy, heavy stuff. Heavy. This idea that you're, you're, you're not somebody who knows. A framework has to be created. How would you know that murder is immoral unless you knew that it was immoral? And how can it be something that's immoral, but in some cases justified? The idea that we would let children decide this is madness. When I was 17, I was the president of a youth group called USY, United Synagogue Youth, for the, 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 almost the, the whole of New Jersey, the, the middle and, and top third of New Jersey, um, Jewish youth group. And I was the, the, the president of, of, of this group. And when we would have these big conventions that we'd have like once a quarter, I would do the, the, the Friday night speech. My, my public speaking came early. And I look back at those speeches as some of the worst dreck I ever stated in my life. It's because I didn't know. Donald Trump Jr. going right by, just walking right by right now. That's CPAC, baby. I didn't know any better. I actually did a speech predicated on the idea of everything I ever needed to know, I really needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Of course that's not true. That is what a 17-year-old would think, and I was a schmuck. That's why I'm always amazed at the guys who are like 18 and then join the military, like they had that sense. Oh, that's, that's impressive. That's impressive. And they probably may have thought of themselves as schmucks when they joined the military, but I always thought that was super impressive. I knew what I wasn't at the time. Children need adults, they need parents to set the stage to understand the importance of a code, the value of morality, what the progressive left puts forth as a theory is the idea that because you feel it, therefore it is moral. Because you believe it at the moment, therefore it is moral. Without the necessity of the foundations or the underpinnings, without the actual rigors of questioning. That's childlike. How often on the conversation of Representative Ocasio-Cortez do you hear me discuss the fact that she's not a child, but her policies are childlike? All the time? It's always been the way I've described it. And the reason I describe it in that way is because of this exact subject that got brought up in a conversation about economics when you hear people talk about obscene profits. There's no such thing as an obscene profit. 
and obscene profits has never been made ever, 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 ever. Now, sometimes people get paid disgusting numbers, right? That's legit. Did you know that a Keith Olbermann at his height was making $7 million a year? Chris Cuomo making $7 million a year? Do you know how hard I work, people? I work my ass off. $7 million a year. What am I doing? This is all a terrible mistake. Honestly, removing the whole operation online. $3.99 a month. Who's in? This is crazy talk. Obscene. I can argue all I want that, that it's obscene that you think Keith Olbermann is worth $7 million a year or, or Chris Cuomo, a guy who joked while people died under his brother's awful rule, was worth $7 million a year. That's obscene. But if that's what the market was willing to pay, that's what the market was willing to pay. There is no obscenity because capitalism, which while I would argue is a very moral system, doesn't ask you about your morality. Capitalism says, here is somebody offering a product and here is somebody willing to buy the product. Why would I ever think of anything else in this? If the person buying the product is an axe murderer, it doesn't mean that the person selling the product is somebody guilty of axe murder. And it doesn't mean that they are somehow a, a, a murderer in their own right. Person A selling product to, to person B, two people under contract or engaged in contract without any coercion, that's as, as, that transfer is as moral as one gets. Anytime you hear the word obscene profit, you are talking about something that is wholly immoral, meaning the person saying the words, the person pushing the ideology. That is the one who is immoral, imperative, and should be part of the conversation here should be part of the conversation when people like Elizabeth Warren talk about obscene profits. She should be called to the carpet, taken to task. Whatever the expression or the cliche is, that's what should happen. Because what she's engaged in is embarrassing, is horrific, is shameful, is ugly, and most importantly is a lie. So we should call her a liar. Just like Representative Ocasio-Cortez lies when she discusses it, so does Elizabeth Warren, and so does Bernie Sanders. It is remarkable fraud. So I'm glad we have the conversation. Now, we have got more people coming down Radio Row at here at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. A lot to get to, a lot more interviews to share. And I don't know, did... Uh, did some protesters just show up? Well, uh, there's some people screaming. Could get interesting. I'm going to have to grab another radio host and use them as a human shield. Where's Mark Levin? Kidding.
that man could take those people out with one punch. This is Tony Katz today. So we've hit our first level of CPAC moronism. People screaming at Nikki Haley, you don't have a chance. Because as you know, 50, 60 people screaming at the former ambassador of the UN is totally gonna be the reason she doesn't run for president. She's just gonna hang it all up. I wish I could have gotten out there earlier so I could have called them schmucks. Sarah, let me bring up your microphone. Sarah runs our social media, or my social media, for the good people uh, there who listen to Tony Katz today and follow on Facebook. Ah, uh, screw Facebook. On Locals, TonyKatz.Locals.com. So, so Nikki Haley spoke. Nikki Haley spoke. She just finished her speech in the, main, in the main ballroom. She just finished up. And we were just sitting here minding our business, doing, you were doing your work. Right. And we heard a lot of commotion and hollering. So immediately you jumped up, right. lead pipe, you ran over. Correct, because, you know, I'm not going to miss a, a chance scene, to use a lead right? pipe. Uh, and it took a minute, and I had to go up the stairs to get a Eagle Hawk view, but it was Nikki Haley surrounded by several dozen people that wanted her picture and wanted her, you know, to see her and talk to her. But then another 50 or so people on the outer circle that were chanting Trump and screaming, calling her rhino and other names that I'm not going to say on your radio station. They and cursed? There was definitely cursing. There were people in Trump t-shirts and, and Make America Great Again hats on the stairs. And I'm like, this is why, this is, don't behave the way they tell you, like, that you behave. The, yeah, break the right? stereotype. You don't want to be treated like some awful Trump supporter. Stop acting like an awful Trump supporter. And the the issue is, as all as always, if Trump's the nominee, the vast majority of people I know who aren't even interested in him being the nominee are going to vote for him. They'll yep. just vote for him. Yep. They'll just do it. But the people who are going to scream at Nikki Haley, you're a rhino, and blank you, I only wish I was there so I could have called them a scumbag to their name, to their face. So I could have questioned whether or not uh, uh, their mother was of ill repute. Um, because uh, I, I, I would ask those questions, I would ask those questions wholeheartedly. It is the most ridiculous part of us. The destruction Oh, there's Marjorie Taylor Greene going down the escalator. She's pulling a Trump. I wanted to challenge you to a push-up contest. Come back up. I can do it. I'm in for at least five. She did say yes. Marjorie Taylor Greene did say yes to the push-up contest. I'd totally be willing to do that. Ah, oh, the things you can do at CPAC. You see, that's a funny thing to yell out because you never know. She might be like, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. Let's go do this. Let's crush cats. Let's do the thing. Why would you scream blank you at Nikki Haley? It is the stuff that drives me crazy. And by the way, the fact that it drives me crazy, I get called a rhino for. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm going to hear it on social media. Tony, you rhino. Tony, you squish this, that, and the other. We on the political right have a disease. We like to fracture ourselves. We like to harm ourselves. We like to do things like give other people stories that they can then utilize to further break down people on the political right. Now, one of the key things to do is not pay any attention to those stories. 
But it's Nikki Haley giving a speech. If you don't think she can get the nomination, you don't have to scream in her damn face. She can't get the nomination. Just simply ignore her. That's how it's done. Don't donate to her. Don't uh, join her email list. Don't do any part of it. Just simply walk away. It's the same thing that's true with radio hosts. You need to send me some anti-Semitic message so I get the point that you don't like me? Isn't it easier just not to listen? You need to send some misogynist message to some uh, female television host? Oh, I can't believe you're wearing that. Oh, you look so fat in that. Just turn off the channel. Be normal. All I want people to do is to be normal. I didn't realize that was so tough. Now, speaking of being normal, we're seeing some things in education that are starting to seem normal. And earlier today, I spoke with Professor Nicholas Giordano about the changes we're seeing in the universities regarding DEI. Listen. Tony Katz, good to be with you. We are here, of course, at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, joined by Professor Nicholas Giordano, Suffolk Community College, part of campus reform, and very, very focused on these uh, social justice issues, uh, his latest uh, from the New York Post about social justice programming for every college student, his latest from Fox News. I'm a college professor cheering on this great American pushback against woke education. We saw the move from the University of North Carolina about we're not going to require a DEI statement, a litmus test for administration or for uh, students. Uh, is this the start of the pushback? Is this the middle of the pushback? What do you see? I think it's the start of the pushback. I wish we were in the middle of the pushback, but this is just the start. It needs to grow much larger. So you're right, North Carolina, uh, th there's colleges that have moved towards getting rid of this DEI social justice statement on all applications that require professors applying for the job to basically swear a loyalty oath to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, unfortunately, if that stays in place, you're going to have college professors who are already ideologues even more go into the groupthink and become even more ideological. So we're seeing pushback in Texas, West Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, and even deep blue New Jersey. Governor Phil Murphy has now called for more scrutiny on DEI spending in the university system, where he saw Rutgers University increase their DEI budget by 40%. Millions of taxpayer dollars going to this. As a professor, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you've heard me discuss this as bigotry. Equity does not bring people up. It pushes people down. Equity prevents people from being able uh, to, to achieve their own goals. We see this on the high school level. We end honors classes because we don't want other students to feel bad while other students excel. But we would never do that on an athletic field. We would never do that in, in any uh, sporting event. Um, how are the universities coming to this place of, wait, we shouldn't do this? There has to be something that has happened to them, financially or otherwise, that makes them say this is, this is a valueless, a problematic proposition. What do you think that is? Well, I think there's a few things going on. So the first is don't underestimate the power of alumni holding back their contributions. I mean, if they see that these colleges are moving full steam ahead with this DEI, well, they may not contribute anymore. So I think that's part of it. But something that's, that's happening is we've seen 
progressive professors, liberal professors that have gotten caught up because they said something that someone deemed offensive and, and so they end up getting suspended and lose their jobs. So it's it's hurting them. I mean, if you look at the last six months and, and look up college professors that have gotten in trouble, they're not conservatives. It's actually most of the people on the left. And, and they realize that this isn't about education. This is just a mob. It's a witch hunt. The DEI-SJ movement is a cultural movement. It's not an academic discipline. Whoa. The DEI what? SJ. So, oh, social justice. Correct. Like, did, did, were there new letters added? I was because sometimes you hear the B for belonging, and you, it's like they're already trying to cannibalize the thing that yes. they're they're still working on. But I, I didn't hear it right, so keep going. Well, and that's the thing. So they incorporate whenever you criticize a pushback, they say, "Well, you don't like diversity." They forget about equity, inclusion, and social justice part to it. But that's the part that's the problem, right? We've had we're the United States. We have diversity already. It's embedded in the system. Whereas social justice, it's a political agenda that you're trying to push. And in college, it's not about political agendas. Teach the material, get students to think critically. Unfortunately, this movement has swept up the K through 12 system and the college system. So it's about brainwashing. Talking to Nicholas Giordano, professor at Suffolk Community College. You can find his work over at campusreform.org, campusreform.org. When we discuss this and we discuss the problems, we discuss the problems that students have. When professors discuss this, or, or the problem it, it puts on students, uh, teaching this idea of oppressed and oppressor, not actually being about diversity because there's no diversity of thought that Correct. is allowed. When, we, when you talk to other professors about this, left or right, what is their argument against? Because while you're correct, I think you make a great point. It, never ever underestimate the power of alumni holding back their checks. But we've seen on so many college campuses that incoming freshmen who know absolutely nothing, three days on campus, all of a sudden they think they can dictate the policies of a campus, and that is often aided and abetted by the professors. So what is happening amongst the professors within DEI that's giving them pause? I think they're extremely worried now, because, and I hear from professors all over the country, but one thing that we're seeing, we're seeing large enrollment drops, not in the Ivy Leagues and not in some state universities, but there's a, lot of, there's a large enrollment drop, and then you have companies like Google, IBM, all announcing that they're dropping degree requirements. So the future of higher education is at stake, and you already have parents questioning, should I invest all this money for my child to get brainwashed? It's a recipe for disaster, and I think that's why college professors are saying, hey, wait a minute, this is our future and our livelihoods, and if we continue down this path, we are going to destroy higher I love, though, that it's a competition conversation in that regard. We have to Who would have thought the capitalism works? Me! Wait a second, me! But this idea that we're competing, it's a recognition that we're competing against the certificate from Google, we're competing against this um, class uh, that does an 11-week boot camp, next thing you know, you can make six figures coding, we're competing against these things, and we can't compete against these things if we're putting on these radicalness of requirements that provide us nothing. So this isn't so much about ideology as much as it is about survival. Isn't self-preservation the, the history of the world? I mean, that's what it comes down to, and I think there's many professors out there that are realizing they will become obsolete if we continue down this path. Nicholas Giordano. Professor of Suffolk Community College. Uh, find his work 
over there at Campus Reform, campusreform.org. It's good to see you back. Uh, I don't know if you still do the podcast. I do. Uh, uh, that's the PAS Report podcast, P-A-S. Uh, you can go get that and download that. I was on that podcast a few years back. It's good to have you back on the show. Appreciate you being with us here. Thank you for having me, Tony. Check for like an hour, you run for Congress, you then organize a fascinating pack, and you just forget all the radio rules, man. Yes, I know. I do not play by the rules, Tony wow. Pack. You are. You are just Tony a madman. <laughs> Tony Katz today, good to be with you here at CPAC. Michael Coolidge joins us right now. Uh, the only person who ever built out a radio network similar to what I did, except he did it better. He then ran for Congress, and now works with a fascinating pack, people who played by the rules. And your whole focus as a pack, which is a tremendous focus, to let people know that there's a school board race happening where you live, you should participate in it. Yes, that That's is crazy. That is exactly it. And it's hard to get that message out in a year like 20. 23 when there's no midterm election there's no presidential election people don't even realize that there might be an election coming up and as so many of us know the district and the people elected who have the most influence not just on what's being taught in schools but in many ways your taxes and your uh, you know, a homeowner's uh, uh, sale, uh, real estate taxes and all that has to do with your schools. So all we're doing is just trying to remind people to pay attention to the school board races coming up. Sometimes it's five to seven percent of people who are registered to vote vote in these things. If you can get it even up to 10 percent, you can flip even a deep blue district red and keep this toxic identitarian politics wokeism out of our schools so it's interesting because you hit at the end there a what some people would describe as a political motive but the concept of the pack is about awareness writ large right That's it, it. It, it's it's about knowing what's happening and then the belief is if more people know what's happening what will happen is that more people will get involved and the people who are witnessing this horror show and see it bit by bit, they will get even more involved. Exactly, because there are already some really great organizations doing the really hard work, like identifying which candidates are good, identifying which ones are not woke, identitarian politics extremists. The 1776 Project Pack, Parent Power, I was speaking, or speaking earlier with uh, Moms for Liberty, all of these organizations if you go to their websites, you can look up where your school district is and when your race is. It's so weird how a lot of states do it, like in Illinois, where I live, and in Wisconsin. We have school board races in April coming up. Oklahoma has them coming up as well. Only three states in the country. In May, there's a bunch of school board races in Texas. In November, there's uh, a bunch of other states, including I mean, Indiana, like, I, mean, I believe. Like 19 states, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. 19 states uh, in the rest of the country, including Indiana, where, again, so few people even realize that there are school board races coming up. But you know who does uh, realize it a lot? The government teachers' unions. They put, if they need to, 
tons of money into these school board races because they know that those of us on the right aren't paying attention. So all we want to do is remind people, and we will be reminding people, through mediums like radio, through mediums like television, et cetera. We did a lot of work in the last election, uh, particularly in Illinois, about pe getting people aware of crime. Well, right now, our focus is school boards and flipping them and just reminding people to vote in your school board election. Talking to Michael Coolidge, the PAC, Political Action Committee is what it stands for. People who play by the rules. Where does that name come from? Why was that picked? As the name, what is the impact it's supposed to have? Yes. So Dan Proft is the president of the People Who Play By The Rules PAC, and he said, we have to get candidates, and we need to support them for statewide and local office who want to uplift the family, promote equal economic and educational opportunities for all families, and rebalance the power relationship between parents and the state. There's this relationship the parents have and the state has on behalf of parents and between job creators, people who actually create jobs and opportunities for people to make money and the state on behalf of job creators. So we're on the side of job creators. We're on the side of parents. We're on the side of people who play by the rules, who earn a living, who are the people who generate the wealth that is taxed that funds things like our school our schools and our military and police and firefighters and all that and we are not necessarily their voice but we are on their side and a lot of people think it's like ironic or something oh people who play by the rules no we're we're literally it's a very uh sort of literal thing. We are for people who play by the rules of American society because there's so many people who don't, especially in this state we happen to make our home in Illinois. Yeah, that's where your pack is at. I would suggest coming to Indiana right away. Michael Coolidge is his name. People who play by the rules pack. You see it on social media. Uh, check it out. And know when your school board election is. Michael, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tony Katz. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz from CPAC. This is Tony Katz Today, presented by Relay Indiana.